This is Channel Attitude. Your voice, your right, your freedom. This is Vince Russo's The Brand. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to an all-new episode of the Talks with Taylor Hendricks podcast with yours truly exclusively on Russo'sBrand.com with Channel Attitude. Today, I am joined for probably like the first time ever with a special guest. His name is Excalibur. He is one of my very fluffy kitties. Hi. Hi, Sleepy. Um, he might make his first ever appearance today on the Talks with Taylor Hendricks podcast. We keep it real in, uh, you know, this studio in my tiny house on wheels. Um, I love it. I love this cat. I was legit his doula. <laughs> Uh, <coughs> crazy funny story. So I rescued his mama because no one wanted her and everyone wanted her kittens. And to me, her story was just so badass. She was this young feral kitten about apparently like six ish months old. And she uh, was apparently pregnant with eight kittens and she escaped these uh, fires that were going on near Malibu a few years ago. And she escaped while having these giant saddlebags because, I mean, she literally was carrying uh, eight kittens. And everyone wanted her kittens and no one wanted her. And so she was going to end up getting put to sleep most likely. And so we were like, you know, we'll keep, you know, we would love to keep her and at least some of her family together if you want to give us... Uh, you know, the, her last two kittens, we can keep them together as a little family, you know? And so they were like, oh wow, that's amazing, yeah. So that's how we ended up with her. And lo and behold, it was so scary and so sad because she ended up being pregnant. And so she would have ended up getting put to sleep while being pregnant, and that's just horrible. Um, so yeah, one day, and we didn't even know, right? When, we just thought she was happy, you know, because she was in a safe, loving environment with, you know, both of her kittens, you know? She was putting on a happy weight, right? Well, no. One day we noticed her fat was moving her around, and that's when we found out she was pregnant. And poor thing, she was in labor forever, forever. She had her first baby at about 9.30 in the morning. Her next kitten, she had six total kittens for this litter, and her next kitten didn't come until about 10.30 at night, and she was just in so much pain. She was so exhausted that... Um, after 10.30 at night, every other hour or so, she was having another kitten. Um, it was like clockwork, like every other hour, there was another kitten and another kitten, and so forth and so on. And it got to the point where she was just so exhausted and in so much pain, I had to like pop the birth sacks for her, um, for her to eat them and, you know, lick the kittens and get the kittens over to her to start feeding them and stuff. Um, but it was just so amazing that she trusted me, you know, in that process, because a lot of times, um, cats will go into a very secluded, uh, protected place for them to give birth, you know, alone, but she really actually wanted me there. I put, um, a blanket down for her that smelled like me and she immediately just like laid on it. She was just like, mommy, um, and laid on it. And she's such a badass. That's why I named her Slayer after one of my favorite bands in the world. Um, so if you ever hear me, um, over the last couple of years, talk about a cat named Slayer, that's Slayer. I was literally her doula and she gave birth to amazing kittens like this guy here named Excalibur. He's huge. It's so hard for me to imagine him as this little itty bitty kitten because he is just so crazy huge <laughs> and fluffy hi you want to say hi oh my goodness say hi taylor army you want me to say hi oh my goodness <laughs> we have fun in taylor's tiny house on wheels so this is the first ever appearance of excalibur the cat everybody um, 
Yes. Hi, handsome. All right. So today we have a very interesting, now that we are done going down memory lane real quick, um, I decided to throw out the normal sort of schedule script that we have for these episodes. I am going to apologize that this episode is a little bit late for anyone that noticed. We were having a windstorm with just huge gusts. There was um, wind advisory warnings and stuff, and the internet was just going in and out because it was so bad. Like, even people that weren't in tiny houses on wheels like me uh, were having problems, so I could not do my episode on time, uh, which ended up being a blessing in disguise because I had a super terrible, awful, awful sunburn, um, which I have not had the likes of in quite a few years because I'm normally covering my skin so much. Um, so yeah, so you know what? Everything happens for a reason. So Today I thought it would be super fun to just do a completely interactive episode with you guys. So today, instead of doing like Hollywood news updates, box office news, calendar updates, and all kinds of stuff like that, instead you're going to do basically a full-on episode of a Q&A with Taylor Hendricks where I answer questions from you, the fans, on my YouTube channel. You get to appear in two places for my content, um, and here's what you're going to want to do. If you want to have a question that you really want answered by me, Here's what you're going to want to do. You're going to want to head on over to my YouTube channel. There's a link in one of the sides here. Um, and you're going to subscribe to my YouTube channel. Scroll down to the latest Q&A video in my videos. Hit the thumbs up and comment your question in the comments below that video for your chance to be featured on my YouTube channel for weekly Q&As as well as on my podcast Talks with Taylor Hendricks which airs every Tuesday on Russo'sBrand.com. Um, you literally get to be in two different places for my content. So super awesome, super fun. I love getting the opportunity to interact with as many fans as possible, whether it's, you know, my podcast or my YouTube channel, cameos, uh, Twitter, you know, Instagram, you name it. Um, so let's dive right on in. I went back through almost six whole months of content from Q&As to try to find questions that were missed or I didn't see or didn't have time to answer. So we're going to have some fun today. If you hear a really annoying sound going on in the background, I do apologize, but the AC is absolutely necessary today because it's over 90 degrees outside. Um, and you know, we gotta we gotta keep myself and all the babies cooled off. So um, Excalibur is having the time of his life right now playing with mommy and we're gonna dive right on into these Q&A questions. So here we go, almost six whole months of content right here. So here we go. Someone asked me if I am optimistic about the future of women's wrestling. Um, so this was asked a few, like a month ago or less. And um, this person is a frequent interactor with the Taylor Army. So kudos to this person. They are awesome. All right. So am I optimistic about the future of women's wrestling? Yes and no. And that is not a pessimistic answer, I might add, because I think that the, there are some valid points here. Um, am I optimistic about the future of women's wrestling? Yes and no. Yes, because there are so many insanely talented women in the industry and there are far more opportunities for success now than there were 15 and 20 years ago. So that's progress. That's amazing. And I got, you know, Excalibur for on my face here. <laughs> um, where I am not very optimistic is uh, people getting opportunities so fast because they're not working as long or as, or as hard and maybe that's not always a bad thing but where it starts to become bad and I believe I've touched on this in prior episodes of this podcast on my in on my YouTube channel is I'm seeing this happen more and more now that there is a plethora of opportunity and an equal amount of amazingly talented women in the industry I'm starting to see newer stars kind of fizzle out and 
burn out fast and and I think that's because they got so much so soon and they didn't know how to manage it and handle it and so then they don't understand when it stops what's happening and I think that is a very toxic and negative situation that's really hard to navigate. I have talked to several women uh, recently who have been trying to navigate that exact thing. Um, and that is very hard because they don't teach you how to navigate that. They don't teach you how to work around that. They don't teach you how to reinvent yourself even if you're not exactly old in the business. They don't teach you a lot of these business skills that you need once you start to realize that you're fizzling out before your time. So then you start to see these girls who say, for example, they got on AEW Dark. They got an opportunity at ROH. Uh, they uh, got to go work in Mexico for a little bit. They also got to go, for example, to do something with stardom or New Japan, right? And then all of a sudden they're coming back to America and they're not really getting many opportunities. Um, and then they start to wonder why, and then they start to get really down on themselves, and then they start diluting themselves to try to fit in, uh, when in reality, in the beginning, they got those opportunities because they stood out. So it, it's a lot. It's a lot, and you're not taught how to deal with that. I think men deal with this too, but I'm going to speak on this from a women's standpoint because this, the question was specifically optimistic about women's, uh, the future of women's wrestling and not just wrestling as a whole. Um, so I think that that's why I would say yes and no about my optimism level for the future of women's wrestling. Um, I think a lot of girls that did work as hard as I did for as long as I did, they're now in positions of power and I don't know if they want to let those go. Um, but there are some out there that really truly do want to help elevate the next few generations that are already in wrestling. Um, and I hope and pray that they help these, these newer women navigate the pitfalls so that they don't have to make the same mistakes or be inducted into this kind of cult-like mentality of different things that are, for whatever reason, socially acceptable in wrestling. But if you break them down to somebody who's not involved in wrestling in the real world, they're like, what? Like, what are you doing? You know, and I think there's a lot of that. Um, and I know that happened to me. Um, and there's a lot of reasons why that happens happened to me and to other people. Um, and this isn't just women either, it happens to men as well. So I think that that's why it's a double-edged sword. Um, I think that we can always do better and we should always strive for better and execute on that. And I think if we continue to execute on making more maps to positions of success, uh, for how they look for different individuals and the better off it will be. I hope that makes sense um, because I really do actually truly, firmly, wholeheartedly believe that. Another person asked me, um, how would I write a feud with Trish? This comes after I answered a question about how I would write a feud with Lita. So this is a really, really fun question. I would take a completely different spin with Trish, um, you know, because Trish comes back a lot, which is really, really cool for fans as well as for her because it, it not only keeps her legacy alive in the WWE universe, but it also keeps reintroducing her to newer generations of fans, which is so amazing to me. That's like super, I don't know, it's just so cool. Um, especially because it's like seeing your childhood again on TV and they're still thriving and amazing and awesome and totally goals. So what I would do is write a storyline where Trish keeps coming back and I find a way to use that against her because I feel jaded about the fact that she didn't want to work with me. Um, and so I turn that around in such a boss way. Like I literally work my way up the ranks with the sole purpose of becoming her boss. 
So then I become the reason that she stays relevant. I become the reason that she gets to put food on the table for her family. I'm the reason why the uh, WWE Universe as a whole is still, you know, talking uh, about her name. And if she refuses to do anything that I tell her, then she automatically loses her job. So I think that's a really cool spin because I get to be just this jaded, once babyface turns diabolical heel and it takes a heel Trish and kind of makes this slow transition into a babyface and she's once again in the underdog position as opposed to a position of power that she is in and I think that's a really cool power struggle struggle and dynamic uh you know like I'm the reason that you get to eat I'm the reason that you're still relevant you didn't want to work with me as an up-and-comer well now all you're ever going to do is work because of me like one of those sorts of things I think that that could be such a cool storyline that could actually take a really long time and you wouldn't get bored of it if it's written in the proper way like you could literally get about more than six months of content you could literally go from one Wrestlemania to the next with just this storyline and I think that's really cool because it's consistent pay it's consistent entertainment and it's a consistent storyline that I feel the fans could really get in on because who's Tell me a person who, I literally have my cat's first stuck in my eyelashes. Tell me a person who has not wanted to turn the power dynamic around. You know, in, in you know, oh, you guys didn't want to offer me a seat at the table. So then I came with my own damn table. That's the kind of vibe, you know what I mean? Like, oh, you guys wanted to discredit me? Well, guess what? I'm your boss now. I'm the reason why you get to eat. You know, that's such a boss move. Um, I think that would be a really great storyline and it offers a certain amount of depth for something that she hasn't done in such a long time. And I think that would be really cool to get even more of her creative juices really going. I think that would be such a fun storyline. Um, and it's really, really cool. Uh, I would be so happy to write that storyline for Trish. Like, I think that would be such, such a really cool way to show a woman go from a heel to an underdog babyface, even though she's a WWE legend. Um, you know, she had such a huge pivotal role in changing the trajectory of women's wrestling. Um, you know, there were so many women that came before her, but she had such a pivotal role on continuing the ideals that they left behind hoping someone would pick up and here comes Trish and she picked it up and she ran with it to the best of her abilities. I think that's absolutely amazing. We owe so much. Um, so I think that's a really cool spin on her legacy is to do something like that and then she gets the huge payoff in the end and I get my comeuppance but it's such a long story to get there and first she gets completely screwed over which makes you want to see her come out on top even more. I, there, I would love to write that. Okay, next question. Do I embrace deep AI fakes and its potential implications for the wrestling industry? No, no, I do not. We've already um, had to deal with deep fakes um, for quite a while now, and especially as it relates to women. Um, and so I think embracing deep fake AI material for wrestling is actually going to be detrimental to a lot of the wrestlers in this business because they're going to become obsolete, just like a lot of jobs are already way ahead of schedule becoming obsolete. I mean, there's there's beauty salons now that are using AI machine technology. Uh, you have self-checkouts. You've got, you know, robots at the grocery stores doing grocery shopping for people. Um, I think there was a McDonald's in Texas that we reported about on this podcast that is completely AI, no human contact whatsoever. You know what I'm saying? So 
I think this is very scary for our future because universal income is going to drag some people, a lot of people down and boost some people up and nobody's going to understand how to handle that. Um, and it's going to eliminate a lot of jobs that are high paying for people that didn't go to college and I just don't think that's fair. Uh, like one of the jobs that they're pushing to eliminate is truck drivers and in case you guys didn't know, uh, for men in particular, that's one of the highest paying jobs for men that did not go to college. Um, I mean, as it should, because it's a dangerous job. But yeah, that they're trying to take over all kinds of stuff like that with AI. And I think that there's a lot of implications for the wrestling business and for acting and for all kinds of other things that don't end up very well for the humans um, that had dreams of grandeur for things like professional wrestling. Um, another person asked me, uh, what are some tips uh, for saving up to buy a car? Very simple. Uh, if you don't, if you can't afford it twice, don't buy it at all. Um, try to eliminate as much credit card debt as possible. Um, figure out how to lease a car. Leasing a car, um, in my opinion, is better than outright buying a car at a certain point because there's a lot more things that are covered under a lease agreement as opposed to owning a car outright. Um, and if you're already strapped for money, I think it's better to have it be someone else's responsibility um, under a warranty as opposed to all out of your pocket to fix, especially with so many people's cars getting broken into and so many different cars having soy coatings on the, um, the, the wirings, which are apparently particularly tasty to rats. And that's usually not covered under your insurances. Um, and there's just, there's just so much stuff going on. So if you can't afford to buy something twice, don't buy it at all. Start learning how to cook at home. Um, make meals that can make dinners that can turn into lunches for the next several days. That's how you save money. Um, and you know, not everybody needs to eat five meals a day. I see so many different eating trends where they want you to be eating five and six meals a day. Honestly, I don't do that. And I feel my healthiest when I don't do that. I find that I am hungrier so much more, the more that I eat. Um, and I just don't like that feeling of like constantly counting down on my watch until the next time I get to have my pre-planned meal. I just can't stand that. Um, and it ends up costing more money because you go through more food. So plan out your meals and don't forget the healthier you are, the more cost efficient you are. People want you to be sick and want you to have health problems. So then you're constantly paying for meds and doctors and all kinds of stuff. Now I'm not a dietitian. I'm not a doctor. So this is not medical advice. I'm just telling you what works for me. When I first moved on my own, I was already, you know, in wrestling for many years at that point. And one of the ways I saved money was learning to shut off my lights and stuff when they weren't being used and make meals that last. So if I make a dinner, I plan on having that for two, at least two lunches. You know, leftovers are king, okay? Don't be, don't be ashamed of leftovers. Um, also, start being more wise with your money. Um, like, a lot of times we buy the latest Amazon gadgets and all kinds of things. Like, you don't need it. Would it be great to have it? Of course, but do you need it? What's more, what do you need more? A car or the latest Amazon gadget? Yeah, like, do you need a drone? Do you, do you need the, the latest Jordans or Nikes or Gucci bag? Probably not. So those are some of the ways in which I would save up for a car. And I would also, I, I, I would start budgeting as well. Like figure out what your habits are, the good ones and the bad ones. Cause don't forget, we always talk about first you make your habits and then your habits make you. So if you have some bad habits that lead to you spending extra money that you don't have, figure out a way to change that habit or habits. And then you'll end up with more money. 
Um, and try to, you know, if you have credit cards and stuff, try to pay down those balances as soon as you can. Uh, because then your credit will go up and then you're in a much better position uh, for buying a car or leasing a car, which I'm a huge fan of. Um, okay. Another person asked me, uh, would I ever wrestle Melina? Absolutely. Um, I think Melina's a really, really cool chick. I think she's very underrated. Um, and so, yeah, I would totally welcome the opportunity to wrestle with her. I think that would be absolute wrestling magic. <laughs> um, another person asked me, have I ever had a bad hair day? Almost every day of my life. I mean, look at this. I am not great when it comes to hair. And that was even before my, my, uh, my hand surgery. Now I am virtually non-existent. Like for this, I literally just took my hair out of a top knot, brushed it and threw on a hat because I just, I'm not great at hair. I'm just, I never have been. I was never great at makeup or hair. I didn't have fashion sense when I got into wrestling. I think wrestling would have been a lot more successful early on and a lot less painful if I would have had like fashion skills and, and that kind of self-awareness, you know, I, so many stories. <laughs> um, would I ever live in another country besides the United States? If so, which one and why? I don't know. I've always had like a gypsy soul. So there's a lot of places I would love to live. That's one of the things that drew me to the whole tiny house movement um, that I talked about incessantly at our age. Um, I would totally love to live in Scotland, England, Italy, maybe even Germany because I really just the fresh air the, the apples were some of the best apples I think the honestly the best apples I've ever had in my life um I actually really really loved Switzerland I spent several days in Switzerland and the shop besides the fact that they didn't use dressing rooms in the places that I went shopping in like other than that like I enjoyed the food um I enjoyed the shopping I enjoyed the atmosphere it was absolutely gorgeous um let me see yeah yeah I guess did I say Italy <laughs> so many shots to my head all right we'll move on um do I follow any gossip topics um I follow very closely and I'm not ashamed to say it um the whole royal family stuff like I I really love um Princess Catherine of Wales um, I think that she is just so genuine. She's full of gumption. She's down to earth. She's hardworking. She is full of class. Um, she's very intelligent. She's so well put together. Um, and I just love her, her innate compassion and empathy and, and her, her skills as a woman, as a wife, as a mother as a daughter and as a princess of a country like I, I just think from top to bottom she's absolutely phenomenal she's so amazing so um I find a lot of inspiration within her so I follow the royal family stuff pretty closely with like Meghan Markle Prince Harry Prince uh, William and Princess Catherine um and I make no apologies for that let me see here um someone asked me what is a rematch I would like to have okay probably Santana Garrett. I would work with her until I retire. I absolutely adore her. Um, in and outside of the ring, like I, I actually really enjoy working with her. Um, another rematch I would like to have, I would totally do another rematch with Mandy Leon, uh, with Kelly Klein, with, who else would I enjoy wrestling again? 
You know, I never got to have a singles with Holodead. Um, I only got to work in tag team matches against her, so that would be kind of interesting. Um, let me see here. A singles match. You know, another singles match I would welcome is actually Mercedes Money, which brings me to... I will skip ahead to one of these other questions. Someone asked me if I would wrestle Mercedes Money in New Japan. Um, I wrestled her when we were both very, very young in our careers. Like, I, I had the name Taylor Hendricks, I think, already. But, yeah, I wasn't really Taylor Hendricks yet. And she was still Mercedes KB. Like, she hadn't grown into Sasha Banks yet. So, we were both just babies in the business. Um, and so, I think that would be really cool to have a rematch with how far we both have come as individuals, as superstars, as women, as performers, and, you know, people that went after their childhood dreams. Like, to me, that's very power powerful. So, I would totally do that. Um... What was my favorite tag team that I was in? I would probably say myself and Chelsea Green. Um, I really wish that would have been booked better and more because we could have had, there was such a hiatus from the time that we won the belts for, for, and to the times that we got to defend the belts. And one of our fun matches where I actually had a fractured ankle was against Santana Garrett and Raquel. And that wasn't even like with our belts on the line. So I really wish that we could have done more with that because I had a lot of fun working with her. Um, so yes. Uh, who are some men I would sign? Okay, I think this is a piggyback question because someone had asked me recently in a Q&A, who are some women that I would sign if I had, like, say, a, um, a, a televised company? I, first of all, would keep things small. Um, I think you bleed money as a business when you have your rosters too big too fast and you don't really get to develop stars to their fullest potential, which is poor for everybody all around. It's just bad, bad business. It's bad for you as a superstar. Um, and it's bad for the company because, you know, you're bleeding money to pay this person a salary, um, but you're not utilizing them to their fullest potential. So why did you bother signing them to begin with? You know, it's a, it's a double-edged sword there. Um, I would probably sign Dom Cyrus, RJ Santos, uh, possibly Julius Coleman. Um, let me see here. Kalisto, uh, who is Samurai Del Sol. Ricky Mandel, uh, Supermix Hernandez, um, Midas Creed, Leo Rush, um, and I would probably want to take one or two more people from Mexico um, as well just to get like a really awesome mix. I would also probably throw the Anomaly Alex Ace in there because he is so different. I mean, it's in the name, the Anomaly Alex Ace. Um, and that would put like a really cool, well-rounded roster. You have uh, young high flyers, you've got muscle guys, you've got, you know, almost seven foot tall guys, you've got really charismatic guys, you've got guys that can go, you've got young up and coming talent, you've got lucha talent. So to me, that's just such a great mix. Um, I would also consider Drago. Um, I know he just recently changed his name, but I actually don't know what it's changed to yet. So um, I think that would be very interesting. And that's how I would want to keep it. I would want a very diverse, really cool roster, roster to be really well balanced in the sense that you appeal to multiple different demographics, but you can have opportunities for good chemistry and also really great learning opportunities for young up and coming talent to learn things the right way with respect and dedication, as well as veterans that really deserve a great home um, where they can not only continue their legacy, but also pass on their legacy to deserving talent and create just an amazing show. And these guys that I named can all go. Um, so I would totally put my name behind those people and say like, hey, these are people worth looking at. 
Um, and I stand by that. Um, another person asked me, would I ever be a coach at NXT? I think I would make an excellent coach at NXT. Uh, you know, because I am a woman who has done it, been in this business since I was a minor. Um, I have gone all kinds of places. I've been exposed to all kinds of different situations, both on camera and off. Um, I'm very creative as a published author. I also think that I have a really good mind for television and camera angles and little details that take someone from indie darling to wrestling superstar. Um, and I think those are assets that I possess that I am able to give to other people. Uh, whether it's writing promos, whether it's developing little nuances for the characters, whether it's helping them come up with a unique look where it doesn't look like you're trying too hard, uh, but you're also standing out because you're not doing all the same things as everybody else on the indies. Like, like girls gear right now, they all look so, like, too similar. And that grinds my gears so much. Like, you guys don't have the same gimmicks, so why do you guys have so, so many of the same characteristics in your gear? Like, it doesn't make sense to me. It just grinds my gears um so yeah i think with with promos with ring awareness camera angles putting a whole polished you know presentation together for you the fans like i would be so great at that um honestly i i genuinely i genuinely feel like i would um someone asked me for more safety tips they said they really like that segment and they want me to do more well thank you um i guess safety tips i have two in particular um, these safety tips are, you know, whether they apply to you or not, they are good to know and keep in mind, especially because you probably know someone where it is applicable. Um, so one of the safety tips I would say is never with your dogs, with your children or with yourself, never stand right at the curb. You have no idea if there is going to be a car that is not paying attention or loses control and hops the curb. Keep your pets, keep you, keep your children away from the curb. You would be surprised how much that actually happens and it does not end well. The other safety tip I have is being aware of your surroundings. We talk about this a lot, whether it's in the ring, being a wrestler on the road, or just living your day-to-day -day life, honestly. A lot of people, mostly women, get attacked um, next to their car or next to their front door. And the reason being is they're not paying attention. And your hands are usually full with bags or with a child or with a pet. And this is a perfect opportunity for someone who's scoping you out as a target. I've actually seen quite a few videos of this on social media, so I think it's a perfect time to talk about it. If you are carrying your child and trying to get into your car or into your front door, you're probably not paying attention to your surroundings and your hands are full. You are not able to defend yourself. This is how children get stolen. This is how you get mugged or worse. Um, you know, whether it's a home invasion, car robbery, or you know, kidnapping, etc. Neither of those things are particularly pleasant, to put that mildly. So my suggestion is to always put yourself at a degree angle, okay? If your house has a long wall where your door is and you're trying to get in your door and you have like a toddler or a pet or grocery bags and you're trying to open with the key, put your back up against the wall of the house so that you can see your surroundings while you are opening. Because once you start to go in your house and your back is fully turned, that's when you're going to get hit by the target. Um, well, as the target, I should say, by your perk. Um, so yeah, those are two things that I think people should be so much more aware. And they sound so simple, but when you're just in the moment, living your day-to-day -day life and not paying attention to your surroundings, these things, we're all guilty of it. And so that's why we have to acknowledge the fact that we live in a completely different world now. One that we probably could not have imagined back in 2010 or the year 2000, okay? Like 2023 is its own beast. 
and we have to be more aware and stop wishing that the world was different and realize that we're living in the world that we're in now. So you can wish it to be different all you want, but it's not going to change itself. So you have to change how you operate in it. And so if I had a toddler or if I was with my dogs, for example, I would position my body at an angle to where I can see what's going on in my peripheral vision so someone doesn't sneak up on me, for example. And um, I also, when I am, for example, taking my groceries out of the car or whatever I've bought, I always take my pocketbook with me. I am not surprised. There are so many people that leave their pocketbook right there and turn their back to put stuff in the trunk or whatever. That's a perfect way to get snatched. It really, really is. So put your pocketbook with you. Put it in the trunk while you're putting the stuff in the trunk. Never just leave it in the cart. And be more aware of your surroundings. Never stand right on the curb. Stand as far away from the curb as you possibly can. Um, so those are some safety tips that I would most especially <laughs> uh, be mindful of. Um, another person asked me, what is something that they don't teach you in school but should? Um, they also love this segment. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I do too. Um, something that they don't teach you in school, but I feel they should. I was learning about this last year and I've been following up on it this year. They should really teach you the difference about a will versus a living trust or a trust in general. A will, the government can still be in charge of that, which means it takes a long time and they can try to take stuff from it and so forth. But if you have a living trust or an actual trust, the government can't really get their hands on it and that's why they don't like those as much. Um, if you have a living trust, you're setting that up while you're alive and there's all these stipulations um, that you put into place. And then a trust in general is where you can put all your assets so then the government can't take them or touch them, such as you know buying real estate or different investments and money and so forth. It just makes it a lot more protected. Like if you have an LLC, put that under your trust and so forth. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not responsible for what you do with your money. But I do think we should learn more about that, especially since we just recently in a different segment uh, for what they don't teach you in school but should. And we talked about all the different taxes that get taxed on the wealthy and middle class and so forth and the rich. Um, I think this is another one that they should teach you that they don't because they don't want you to know. Just like they don't want you to know about the wealth tax that they um, impose upon anyone that has a million dollars or more that we talked about, I think, last week. Um, yeah, so I definitely think that you should do, pay attention to that. Um, another person asked me, what's my favorite part of working with Russo's brand? Honestly, I absolutely adore, and I'm not just saying that because my podcast airs on their program. Like, I genuinely enjoy what I do for Russo's brand. I get treated with immense respect I get treated with camaraderie and support. Uh, like I feel like Russo's brand has been so supportive in so much of what I do, whether it's my YouTube channel, this podcast, my books, like whenever I have, and I interacted with Vince Russo on multiple occasions, even before working with him, like I would send him tapes of mine or promos to get like opinions and stuff. Um, this is stuff that I did with Terry Taylor, with Les Thatcher, uh, with, um, um, Adam Pierce and so much more. Um, I, I've gotten a lot of feedback that I ultimately applied to, you know, my, my work. And to me, that's an invaluable asset. Like the intrinsic value of that is just immeasurable. Um, so I have never had a bad instance working with Vince Russo ever, ever for many, many years now, even before Russo's brand. And I think one of my absolute favorite parts of working with Russo's brand is just the opportunity it's provided me, uh, uh for getting to be myself. Like I get to genuinely be myself with my fans and get paid to do it and also get to build lasting connections that I may not have had otherwise. And to me, that's, that's amazing. You know, instead of 
just giving everybody the narrative that other people have tried so hard to get everyone to believe of me I have just been able to be myself on here for all of you to see consistently and not have to worry about other people's narrative of me because I am busy in my lane doing you know what I do and to me that's been one of the most freeing powerful gifts which I talk about a lot which is getting to be free with my authenticity and that to me is one of the best gifts that I have gotten uh, I have received from working with Russo's brand Alright everyone, we are going to continue on with more questions from this Q&A. Um, if you want to join in on all the fun, that is Q&As with Taylor Hendricks on Talks with Taylor Hendricks as well as my YouTube channel, All Things Taylor, D then what you're going to want to do is head on over to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Taylor Hendricks. The link is on one of the sides here. You're going to subscribe to my YouTube channel, scroll down to the latest Q&A video, hit the thumbs up button and comment your question in the comments below for your chance to be featured on my YouTube channel as well as on my podcast, Talks with Taylor Hendricks, which airs every Tuesday on Russo'sBrand.com. If you subscribe to Russo'sBrand.com, you get my podcast and like 20 plus other podcasts, all for less than a large Starbucks cup of coffee per month with no long-term commitment necessary. I don't think you can get a better podcasting deal with castrating the marks. You've got talks with Taylor Hendricks, Goldie's Closets, reviews of wrestling with like Ben Hameen, uh, Vince Russo, Jeff Lane, Al Snow, EC3, um, and so many more just insanely talented people from all kinds of different walks of life, different varying levels of success throughout multiple industries. I can't think of a better deal. So without any further ado, let's get right back to some more questions from you, the fans, on my YouTube channel over the last six months. Here we go. <clears throat> Another person asked me, what are my thoughts on the XPW controversies and would I work for them? I honestly have no idea what you're talking about. I don't really pay attention to a lot of negative news. Like that is just not my bread and butter whatsoever. So you would have to inform me because I genuinely have no idea. Um, so I cannot make an educated decision on whether or not I would work for them because I, I, I don't know what controversies you're referring to. So definitely let me know in the comments. All right. Um, do I often get offended by people outside of the business who call wrestling fake? No. No, I don't. I think it's really silly to get so offended by that. Um, I actually just had this conversation this past weekend. You know, when I started talking about some of my injuries, uh, the person was like, but I thought wrestling was fake. And I'm like, well, certain parts of it is, but you're actually going through the motions of it and things happen. You know what I mean? Uh, you don't look at a TV show and go, oh, it's scripted. It's fake. Like, you know that it is, but you still go along for the ride. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I don't really get offended by that at all because I am very secure um, in my talent and where I'm going in life and I don't need the validation uh, from people that don't understand what I do you know if it's your dream you, you shouldn't be focused on making sure other people understand your dream you just get to focus on whether or not you understand and believe in your dream and then whether or not you're going to go after it now or later on <laughs> so yeah, I do not get offended by that. It's a common misconception that you can potentially use in your favor. Depends on how you choose to look at it. Do I prefer singles or tag team matches? Honestly, I just love wrestling, but if you've been a fan of mine for any length of time, you'll know I'm a huge, hardcore, diehard uh, tag team fan. Like I've always wanted to be in a legit, super successful, super badass tag team. Like I have always enjoyed tag team wrestling i think there's so much creative stories you can tell there's so many different cool things you can do in the ring um this the storytelling alone though is just so like the potential for it is just out of this world 
So I have been in so many different tag teams, like I'm not going to lie. I was in a tag team with Allie the Bunny that never took off. Um, I was briefly in a tag team with Jessica Havoc. I was in a tag team with this awesome redhead from Australia. Um, I was in a tag team with Chelsea Green, who is now a WWE Women's Tag Team Champion, so that's kind of cool. Um, I was in a tag team with Alicia Edwards, uh, the, the Impact Knockout. So um, I've had a lot of really cool instances of being in different tag teams for sure. Um, I've always loved it. Always loved it. So I think if I had to choose, I would. Um, yeah, I've just always, always loved tag team wrestling. Always. Um, oh, someone asked me what's been my favorite gear. I would probably have to say this set of gear that was black, green, and gold. And it had these dragon scales on it and these... Um, really prickly vines and it was really cool it was made by Angie Skye who is up in Canada and I designed that gear to also match Alicia Edwards I actually designed the gear that she debuted at impact with it was green black and gold I designed that so I loved it I was like oh my god that's my work um, I designed it for us to be a tag team and I absolutely love that gear um, there was a dark maroon set it was like dark red ish maroon gold and black and I love that gear. It was also made by Angie Sky. I wore it at WrestleCon when I tagged with Chelsea Green against Santana Garrett and uh, Impact's Raquel. Um, I wore that <laughs> on a fractured ankle. I didn't get to wear that that much. I believe I also wore that gear against Madison Rain at Shimmer. Um, I sold that gear. I honestly regret selling it as early as I did, but I knew a fan really wanted it. Um, and so I did that and then there was another set of gear that I sold so that I could donate the proceeds of that gear to Mistress Belmont's um, husband's funeral at the time so um, I've loved a majority of the sets of gear that I have my regret is I don't always get to wear them as much as I want to I kind of I sometimes sell them to do different things like make donations and things like that to various things that I believe in or think is the right thing to do um, I also really love my current set of gear. I am not going to lie. The detail on this gear is so amazing. And what's so funny is one of the inspirations behind my new set of gear, uh, ironically enough, was one of the same inspirations recently used by Chelsea Green in one of her new sets of WWE gear where she won the tag team titles with Sonya Deville. And I thought that was hilarious because neither of us had communicated about that at all. And we had some similar, and but we took it in totally different directions. And I, I thought it was so cool. I wanted to look like Madame Hydra came out of a comic book. And I felt like I totally did. And the, the woman in the UK that made it for me was absolutely amazing. All right. Um, if I could be a character in a universe, who would it be? Um, and would I join that universe? I would totally love to be Madame Hydra or... The Scarlet Witch, Wanda Maximoff. Um, I always wanted to play her, and then, you know, Elizabeth Olsen got that role, and, you know, I can't even be salty, because I think she's doing such an amazing job, so um, I'm just really excited that that character is really getting the full potential to be portrayed. I think it's really cool with, like, WandaVision and all of that. <laughs> um, is there anything I wanted as a kid that I now have as an adult? That's a fun question, because I'm always talking about you know, doing your best to become the adult that you needed as a child. Like to me, that is a huge life goal for myself and what I want more people to do and embody in their lives. Um, I got one of my dream cars. Um, I sold it now, but I got to have it for quite a few years. That was like such a huge thing for me because growing up, I always wanted that car and then I got it and I got it. I bought it myself with, uh, 
one of my first paychecks that I got from TNA back in the day. Um, yeah, so I was like, I was so excited. I felt, I was really feeling myself. <laughs> you know, it was such a, a really cool childhood moment come full circle. And then growing up, I always wanted a dachshund. And as you guys know, I have Slinky and Sally. Uh, Slinky the Weenie and Sally Sausage, which I'm actually going to turn into a book series. I'm really excited about that. I have not talked about that, I don't think. So yeah, that's in the works. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things that I have now that I worked really hard for that I always wanted when I was a little girl. Okay. Another person asked me, how do I maintain my positive attitude even when people call me fake? Honestly, people have been calling me fake my whole life, so that's really nothing new to me. Um, my response to that would, would be, come up with something more original. Like, been there, done that, heard it, ignored it, you know? <laughs> so, um, one of the ways in which I protect my positive attitude is just being real and checking in with myself. Like, hey girl, how you feeling today? Like, how do you feel about that? Why do you feel that way? And kind of do like some introspection. Um, I believe is the word I would use. Um, <clears throat> another way in which I protect my positive attitude is finding joy in things that I do on a daily basis and also being mindful of my goals. I write down my goals every single day. And then I'm also very protective over my home and my energy, uh, you know, the energy in my environment, I should say. Some of the most successful people in the world, um, they, they didn't get that successful by being around negative people all the time. And if they couldn't get out of that environment, then they would ignore the negative noise. And one of the ways in which I ignore negative noise is by knowing who I am, uh, whether I'm you know, in public or whether I'm alone you know, in my house. You know, I, am, I know who I am. Um, and also I am mindful of all the ways in which I'm trying to honor the little girl that I used to be. And so when you are focused on stuff like that, you don't have time for people calling you fake or saying bad things about you because you realize if they're saying those things, it's kind of more of a, of a, it's kind of more of a reflection of them and not really you because you're busy working on yourself and working on your goals and they're busy talking shit about you. You see how that says more about them? Like, why aren't they more focused on uh, making themselves better and achieving the things that they want to achieve? Listen, anybody doing better than you does not have the time to be to be stomping on you, okay? They just don't because they're achieving things that you have not achieved yet. They're, they're levels ahead of you. And that's, that's very much indicative of my personality. There's a lot of things I could say that you guys aren't ready for, but I don't feel the need to say them. So people can go and say whatever about me. It doesn't make it real. It doesn't make it truthful. It just means it's their truth. And a lot of times other people's truth um, is more because they they can't accept the real truth. And that's okay. Um, and other ways in which I protect my positive attitude is by surrounding myself with positivity. So I surround myself with, with people that I want to see win and with people that want to see me win. Um, I also listen to a lot of uplifting music. I also really focus on my blessings every single day. And I listen to a lot of stand-up comedy. Um, those things make me happy. They keep me in a positive mindset and they keep me moving forward and pushing forward with all the things that I want to be, embody, and achieve. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> um, is my hand fully healed yet? No, it is not. I still don't have full sensation. Um, I lost a lot of strength on this side of my body, so I'm actually really working to uh, rebuild that strength and kind of rehabilitate it back to where I was, um, or better, you know, you never know. Uh, what do I think of mom? Oh, guys, 
What do I think of modern feminism? I think it's a hijacked movement that's not really about what it says it's about anymore. Um, and I think it's doing more harm to men and women than good. Um, I think the original feminism was was good where you know it wanted women the opportunity to vote to uh, have a role in their own health care like back in the day like doctors didn't speak to women about women's health care like they would talk to the husband or the father or the closest male relative like think about how like violating that could probably be um, they also wanted women to have the right to education and to work outside the home if they wanted to or needed to um, and the right to protection under the law against, you know, abuse and things like that. I think those things are appropriate, but I think the rest of what they're trying to do, I just don't agree with it. I don't agree with it at all. Um, I think this demonization of men is, is awful. Um, I firmly believe that a country is only as strong as the men that defend it. And that is, that's not a slight against women at all. I have a, a cousin that is in the army and she's absolutely amazing. Um, I've had, you know, family members be in the Navy for more than 20 years. Um, I, one of my grandfathers was in the Army before he was even 18 years old. Um, in the met, one of the medical units, saving lives. I had another grandfather who literally was in the Ron 31 Squadron uh, during World War II. Um, I have uh, another grandfather who was in the, the 508th ARCT. Um, you know, I. I love my country. I firmly believe in what my country is supposed to stand for. And I believe that there's, you know, roles that men and women are supposed to play. And I don't think that we should be demonizing each other. Um, I think that this has been hijacked for a reason. And if people wake up, they're gonna realize the reason isn't good. Um, yeah, I don't believe in demonizing the opposite sex, the opposite gender. I don't agree with it and I don't agree with this callous hatred and ignorance and just negativity. Uh, I think it's dividing um, and that makes us more easily conquered and I don't, I don't like that. I don't like that. Um, and I think that you can't pick and choose when it comes to equality. You either want all of it or none of it. You, you can't have it both ways. You can't want someone... Uh, you can't want a man to be traditional if you're not also going to be traditional. And if men are also going to be participating in hookup culture, then you can't just blame women. I think men and women played a major pivotal role in where things are today. And I think that everything is very, very misguided is what I would say. I don't think it's any one gender's fault. I think we both played a part in it. And I think it's, it's, really unfortunate, really, really sad, and we need more people to discuss it and not be afraid to be demonized for it because the best way to discredit people is to dehumanize them and demonize them, and that's how you discredit them in the end. And I think all the people that have tried to speak out on this, they have tried to take down and discredit, which is really, really sad. Um, <clears throat> all right, let's move on here. Uh, what is the pet peeve of mine in wrestling? Okay, this grinds my gears. People talk about being signed all the time. Oh, we signed this person, we signed that person, this person signed here, this person signed there. Nobody's talking about the fact that like what being signed today actually means is so different compared to even what it was back when I was signed to TNA. Like the contracts have drastically changed. Like if you're a pay per appearance contract, like I don't necessarily think that's like a real contract because anybody can be pay per appearance. Uh, you know what I'm saying? 
So if you are <laughs> completely exclusive to a company um, and you have to get permission from that company to go anywhere else, that to me is a more legitimate contract as opposed to these paper appearance things. Um, and that's just my personal opinion. You can, you, you can feel free to disagree with me. That's your right. That's your prerogative. You know, that's what free speech is. But I just don't like it. I, I can't stand it. Like, I just think, that's a pet peeve. <laughs> Moving right along. What was the most recent movie I watched? Okay, I watched Insidious, The Last, The, the Red Door. Uh, I liked it. I wasn't in love with it. So, like, I wanted more creepy scariness out of it. Um, but I liked it. Uh, I was really, really, really looking forward to watching that movie. Um, let me see here. What time do we got? Oh, we are running long, and there are still so many more questions. Holy moly, like two more pages full. Um, do I think social media has a positive or negative effect on pro wrestling? I think it's both. I think social media has a positive and negative effect on everyone. Um, like the level of narcissism today is like leaps and bounds ahead of where it was in like 1980. Um, and it's crazy because there's a lot of people pretending to be tough who aren't really tough. And then there's all these people who acknowledge trolls more than their own fans, which is kind of a, a slap in the face to the fans. Um, and then you have people talking all this talk that wouldn't actually act that way in a face-to-face -face conflict. And then if you want to call them out face-to-face, -face, then they say that you're being bullied and then they try to... It's just a big rabbit hole of negative nonsense. So. I think social media has a positive effect where it can connect millions of people within a matter of seconds, but it also has a negative effect because people can be purposely full of egotistical narcissism um, or just woke up and chose violence one day, you know, in the sense that they want to try to destroy other people's lives on social media by blowing something out of proportion and then on the next thing you know it's traveled all over the world and is trending and viral. It, it, it has a positive and negative effect on everyone, including the wrestling industry. But I think it also <clears throat> provides ways for people to get themselves over if they're not necessarily getting over in on a wrestling program, which is something that, you know, wrestlers in the 90s and early 2000s did not have. Like once WWE was done with them, they were essentially done. Now there's, there's, there's different aspects where you can kind of take that control into your own hands and kind of be in the driver's seat of your dreams. So that is definitely a positive that I will say that was not readily available in the 90s and very, very early 2000s. What are some of my favorite animated Disney movies? Okay, uh, some of them are not Disney, but I love The Sword in the Stone. Uh, Peter Pan is like my all-time favorite. I love J.M. Barry. Um, let me see here, Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, Little Mermaid, um, Cars, wait, that's Pixar Disney, right? Um, I love most of the Pixar stuff, to be honest with you. Toy Story, all of that stuff. <laughs> but Peter Pan's always been my lifelong favorite. Um, have I wrestled yet in the UK? I was supposed to, and then like my loop got canceled a couple years ago. Uh, let me see here. Are there any pros to the WWE UFC merger? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, the merger, even though it was costly, is actually seeing a boost. Uh, for WWE, which is very, very important when you think about how many people WWE actually employ is under the, the WWE banner for employment. Um, it also is going to provide a crossover of eyeballs because, you know, we have to, there's such an inflated ego when it comes to wrestling, but if you are actually real, you'll realize that wrestling itself is a niche market, whereas sports entertainment has a much wider audience. 
Uh, you know, there's still people out there that still think wrestling is the WWF. That's how, like, out of touch, you know, certain things are, right? But they still remember the WWF. So then you have to ask yourself, what are we doing wrong that we weren't doing wrong back then? And how can we flip that script around to then keep regrowing our audience and, and creating new lifelong fans, so forth and so on? Um, and I think we need to focus on that more. Uh, but the UFC merger is definitely an opportunity for stars to prove their worth if they didn't feel like they were able to prove that before. It's also going to provide them a new audience. It's providing more funding under the um, Endeavor Group umbrella. Um, and obviously the merger of the two is going to, pop for now, positively affect the stock until they have to take a look at the overhead versus their ROI. And then if the two don't look great, then there's going to be cuts. Um, you know, since this merger happened, there has been no cuts. And we, uh, if you pay attention, you'll know that firing season is always, you know, around the time of WrestleMania and right after. They did not do that this year. So I think we're waiting for the, the quarter uh, and the figures to be analyzed and, you know, to get the kind of the lay of the land, so to speak, now that there's been a merger. Um, and then we're, we're probably going to see the cuts happen. But they have to take a look at, you know, how things are running, uh, what the, you know, the overhead looks like, what's the return on the investment, what superstars are getting paid versus how much they're bringing in, what's their draw, what are their merch sales look like. Because at the end of the day, right, you have to remember this is a business. A lot of people don't want to think of it that way, but it is. And if you're a superstar making $60,000 a year, for example, on the low end, right, but you're costing the company $200,000 a year, that's a $140,000 difference. That's not good. Now imagine every superstar was, and this obviously is not the case, but say there's 200 WWE superstars, and say they're all losing $140,000 a year when you factor in marketing, uh, distribution, social media management, legal, and all of that, right? Uh, $140,000 times 200. I mean, look at, you know, there, there's a lot to factor in here. It is a business. Um, and I think people, when you're a superstar, you don't always think about how your actions actually affect everyone who signed. Um, because if you're the reason why something happens and they lose a major sponsorship or heaven forbid their TV deal, that could mean the destruction of a company, which means hundreds of thousands of people are now going to miss out on potentially becoming a WWE superstar and fulfilling their childhood dream because of your irresponsible actions. There's a lot that goes into this that people just don't talk about. Um, someone asked me, what is my favorite William Shakespeare play? Probably The Taming of the Shrew. I really love that one. Uh, what was the, what did it feel like, uh, when, uh, you got a low blow by ODB? What do you think? <laughs> um, I love ODB, by the way. Uh, her birthday is the day before mine. Uh, she's a funny chick. Okay. Uh, what are some of the most unexpected things that happen in a match? Uh, I remember one girl's implant, like, popped. That was like such a bizarre. I remember thinking to myself, it was like when the house fell on the Wicked Witch of the West and her feet like, or Wicked Witch of the East or whatever, and her like feet and legs like shriveled up under. <laughs> that was the immediate thought that went through my head. And then the next week I thought was like, oh my God, is this, is this, are like chemicals gonna like run through her bloodstream now? Like, what are we, what's happening here? Um, another thing, I was in the ring where like the middle rope broke. Um, I was in the ring where a girl literally ripped my gear, um, and somehow that was my fault. It's like, you're the one that grabbed the front of my gear and went like this. Like, maybe, you know, take some accountability there, my friend. 
Um, and that's no shade. I actually like her, so. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was really upset about that because like all the lacing, she broke all the lacing in the front of my gear. And then she ripped uh, one of my gauntlets and then my my uh, my wrestling boot, the, the sole broke. So it was like talking and flopping around. And like she busted me open in the face. I was like, what the heck? Like, I don't owe you money. <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing here? Uh, like, what's going on? Um, most unexpected things. Oh man, a huge fight broke out in the crowd one time uh, during a match of five. That was interesting. Um, someone, a fan had a medical emergency one time. Uh, this was like a house event, like so it wasn't televised or anything. Um, <laughs> it was for charity. And somebody had like this medical emergency and I remember like I came out to help uh, while we awaited for, waited for the EMTs because I used to be certified in first aid because you had to be in the state of Massachusetts to uh, work with children. Uh, whether it was like summer camp or preschool or whatever, like you had to be, you had to have that certification. So I came out and helped with that. Um, like I stopped my match. That was very unexpected, but I felt like it was the right thing to do, you know, that's a scary situation for anybody. Um, unexpected thing. There's probably more. I would have to seriously think about that because I mean, I've been in the wrestling business for like 16-ish years, so there's a, there's a lot to try to think through and remember. I would definitely say something unexpected was being paralyzed in the ring. Um, that would, I would, I think that would definitely qualify as unexpected. You know, you don't go into a match going, hey, today's the day I'm gonna be paralyzed from the waist down. Yay, one girl revolution. Like, no, like you'd never think that. Um, yeah, I got paralyzed from the waist down. I couldn't move, I couldn't feel my legs, I couldn't wiggle my toes. Um, yeah, I still have herniated discs in my neck um, because of that. Let me see here. Yeah, I would have to think about that even more because there's so many things that I saw happen. Um, now, if you want to talk about just being on shows, not necessarily during my matches, I've got a lot more stories for you. Um, like, yeah, like there was this one time where I was on the show. I was 17. I was still a minor. So I was 17 years old. I was still in high school. I was at this show, which I probably shouldn't even have been on because I don't think as a minor you're allowed to leave the state with like other people. So that was probably a choice um so I was on the show that was not in Massachusetts I think it was in New York I think New York or Rhode Island one of the two actually it was either New York Rhode Island or Connecticut it was one of those and this guy had this tattoo on his skull and he had a shaved head and he had all these different piercings and and tattoos and stuff like I remember his tongue was like forked in two and he had each side pierced um and he had this new tattoo and he was in a match, and I think I was valeting, I think I was valeting this match, I think. And they called for this spot where he was supposed to get hit with a, a chair on the head for some reason. They don't even have a feud, so I'm not even sure why they would call for that. Um, and the person that hit him on the head with the chair, like, used the wrong side of the chair, and, like, a ridge on the metal of the chair, like, split the dude open. Uh, where his tattoo, where his new tattoo was, and there was just blood and just everything, and, and you could literally see the skull. That's like how deep the split happened, and he was dead set on not going to the hospital and not receiving any sort of medical attention. And for whatever reason, he wanted me to be the one to fix it, and I'm like, I am 17 years old. Like, what are all you 20-something, 30-something, 40-something, 50-year-olds doing? Like, like, what am I getting myself into? This is like the beginning stages of my career, you know? Like, I'm a minor, and um, so long story short, um, or made longer, depending on your preference, um, they got me, like, 
in bowling, when we had calluses, we would use something called new skin. So they got me something that was like that, but it wasn't new skin. It was like some sort of skin glue, very similar. I would say new skin adjacent, but not quite new skin. That's how I remember, that was my impression of it when I was 17. Um, and so I literally used that and I used my fingers to push his skin and stuff back together. And I literally glued the skin above his skull back together because he refused to go to the hospital. Uh, that was crazy. I was legit 17 years old. Yeah. And <laughs> I was far from home. And I remember thinking to myself, what am I getting myself into here? Like I, I like what's going on? What's going on? Uh, I have a lot of stories like that, actually, a lot, a lot. Um, I think that's why I'm not really, like, super squeamish with that kind of stuff. Like, I am, um, my grandfather used to say, be a good soldier in a storm, which is actually really funny because there's a, there's a line similar to that in Grey's Anatomy. Um, but when I was a little kid, I heard my grandfather say that. He, uh, he was going through something, and we all were. It was like something family-related, and I remember him saying out loud, be a good soldier in a storm, Taylor. Just be a good soldier in a storm. And um, that was before I realized the extent of his service to America, you know, being in the Army and the medical unit, like before he was 18 years old, and then here I am. Fast forward at 17, I'm like gluing somebody's like skull. <laughs> so yeah, I'm a very good soldier in a storm. Okay, how did I handle crushes as a kid? Um, I was a very awkward, ugly duckling. Like I was a very, very late bloomer. So probably not very well. I was a very awkward, uh, insecure, needing, I don't know, looking for acceptance in all the wrong places. And I was like just the sporty, goth girl that loved wrestling and books and didn't really fit in anywhere, but also fit in everywhere. So like, I fit in everywhere, but I belong to nowhere. That's how I would probably describe myself. Like I fit in with all the niche groups and cliche groups and stuff. Like I, I hung out with the goth kids because I was goth. I also was in advanced placement classes. So I hung out with a lot of the nerdy kids. I was a jock. So I was on, you know, the JV and varsity, you know, sports teams. I was the captain of the debate team. I was in bowling club. I was in the drama club. I was in Amnesty International. Like it's <laughs> like so random. You know, I was with a lot of the hippie kids and um, I fit in with, uh, you know, a lot of the alternative kids and the kids that like rap and stuff like that. So I fit in everywhere, but belong nowhere. <laughs> so, um, with my stance on OnlyFans, would I consider any of their alternatives like Brand Army or Fan House? I've never even heard of Fan House, but since they're considered an alternative to OnlyFans, my answer would be no. Because even if you're the alternative to something, you're still in the same conversation. Um, I don't think OnlyFans is a good thing, um, and because Patreon was like that before OnlyFans, I don't, I won't have Patreon either. Um, I just think it's it's not good. It's not good for business. It's very short-term thinking, and a lot of people are going to be hurt by that in the coming years if they haven't already. Um, yeah, no, no, thank you. And that's not a judgment on anybody that does do that. You know, you're in charge of your own choices, not me, and vice versa. I'm in charge of my own choices, not you. So. That's my choice. My answer is no. Um, how did I get my hair red? I have had red hair since I was probably 13 years old. I remember Mama Hendrix, my mom, saying, you know, if dyeing your hair red is the worst thing that you, worst decision that you ever make in your life, then I did a pretty good, <laughs> pretty good job as a mom. And um, I always thought that was funny. So yeah, I've had red hair off and on since I was 13. Uh, my mom and I used to pick out colors from the drugstore and we would get her paintbrushes and she would literally paint the colors onto my hair. My junior banquet, um, 
my junior year in high school, I had like flame colored hair. I had orange, yellow, um, red, and like this magenta-ish pink. And so when I had curls in my hair, it looked like flames. It was so cool. Um, I probably had some sort of red or orange hair off and on since I was 13. I remember one point in high school, I had orange and black hair. Uh, I also had blonde hair, but I always, I've always gone back to red. Most of the time, my whenever my hair was not red and wrestling, it's because somebody else messed up my hair. That's why I got so good at doing my own hair because I just developed so many trust issues with people messing up my hair. So yeah, I do my own hair. I love it. It's not perfect, but it's me and I'm not perfect. So it's awesome. Um, when is my, this feels like a very similar question to the modern day feminism question. Uh, what are my thoughts on men getting lectured about the male gaze? All right, listen, this is very similar to the, the other F word, which for me is feminism. Do I think a majority of men should be lectured for the male gaze? No, but do I think there are a select few that deserve a stern talking to because they're being inappropriate and disrespectful and probably wouldn't like that behavior being put onto someone that they love? Absolutely. Like, I don't believe in the whole boys will be boys thing. Um, I think if you teach uh, your children right from wrong and if you teach them to trust their own moral compass within themselves and to make educated decisions on the people they surround themselves with and by proxy the situations that they allow themselves to be put into, uh, they'll be better people and then they won't need that stern talking to or whatever. But do I think some people take it too far? Absolutely. Like if you're three quarters of the way naked walking around in public, like you have to understand that you put that outfit on, not for you, but most likely to get some sort of look. Um, so just be real about it and, and don't create the drama, you know, like it, it's a double-edged sword. Uh, some stuff is inappropriate on both sides. Like, do I think every single dude needs to be lectured? No. Like if you're wearing see-through clothes at the gym, I'm going to look and no, I think there's a certain amount of accountability that goes into something like that. You know, if you're going to wear something that's see-through and you're sticking out, if you know what I mean, and you're jumping around and doing all kinds of obnoxious attention-seeking behavior, but then you're gonna get mad at receiving the attention that you were indirectly seeking out, um, that's an accountability thing. Um, now, with that being said, here's what I'm going to use as a disclaimer, okay? If something bad happens to you, that's not okay, okay? I don't care what you are wearing, uh, it's not okay, all right? And I think that that's something that more men need to understand. Like bad behavior should not be excused simply because of, of someone's outfit or their occupation, okay? It's not okay. And there should be consequences for that. But on the flip side of that, also understand you have some sort of role that you played in that as, as the female, okay? If you made the choice to walk through a widely known bad neighborhood wearing something that, you know, is going to draw a lot of unwanted attention. It's dark, it's late at night, you're alone, your phone is dead because you were using it to take Snapchats and TikTok videos and selfies and all kinds of stuff all night and you didn't pay attention to your battery. Uh, the person who's supposed to drive you home is drunk, they, they did not hold true to the D&D &D thing and all this other stuff. You made choices that put yourself in that situation. So there's a certain amount of accountability. Now this is not blaming the victim. Bad things shouldn't, like whoever did those bad things, they should be held responsible. But we also have to understand that we play a role in the decisions that we make. We're not just, we're not just always innocent bystanders in our, you know, the situations we end up in. We make choices 
by action or inaction, okay? You know, what if she went home earlier that night? Or what if she decided to be the, the designated driver so that way she could drive everybody safely home instead of, you know, trusting somebody else that they were going to stay sober to drive them? What if she didn't spend so much time on her phone so that it's now dead and has to walk through a terrible neighborhood in an outfit that you probably don't want to be caught in in the middle of the night in a bad neighborhood? Uh, how about the fact that you're even walking through that neighborhood at all? What if you would have brought a spare battery uh, charger for your phone so then you could call an Uber? What, what about the friends that you were hanging around with that allowed you to walk home alone at night, half drunk, in a not-so-great, scantily-clad outfit in a reputably known bad neighborhood? See, all of these are choices. Um, so that's what I would say. We all make choices through action and inaction. And we need to hold ourselves accountable, but that does not mean that you deserved bad things to happen to you because you didn't. And I think the people that do bad things should be held accountable. So it go, there, there's, there's a lot there to unpack. Um, have I ever met Medusa? Yes, I actually like Medusa and I am considering possibly doing like a podcast switch where I might be on her podcast and she might be on mine. So that one might be kind of fun. Um, who is someone who you enjoy their content on social media? Rebby Hardy. Um, I really want to be friends with her. <laughs> um, I, I genuinely enjoy her vibe. Um, I've always liked Rebby. We were on some shows early on, uh, like my first ever Shine show. I believe it was Shine 2. Um, she was on that show. And I just remember thinking, oh, wow, this girl is totally free with her authenticity. She has like a zero Fs attitude. And she's freaking beautiful. She has a lot of talent. Like, holy crap. Like, this is a really, really cool chick. Um, and fast forward to today, like, I just I just love her authenticity and her vibe. Like, I think, like, gothic baby. And I think how she's raising her kids and the type of wife she is and the type of mom and type of person that she is. Like, I just genuinely think she is a really, really cool person. Um, I really enjoy her content. And she's somebody that I would want to be friends with. Um, did I train for a long time for my tombstone pile driver and was it difficult? I really didn't train at all for my tombstone pile driver. Um, I tried it a couple times at practice just to see how I would do it and how I want to explain it. Because all of my moves, either offense or defensive, um, I can explain to the people I'm wrestling on how to take it or how to get in it or how to get out of it. And usually I have a minimum of two to three ways for someone to get in and out of my stuff so that way we can use it with longevity in a match and tell stories. Um, and for my tombstone, I do all the work. I don't like them to try to cartwheel up and have like this timing that has to be spot on sort of thing. Like I do all the work myself for my tombstone. I pick them up like this. And if they're not where I need them to be, I will hoist them up higher myself and then go down for my tombstone. Um, and I never force that on anyone. I always ask them, if you're not comfortable, can I at least pick you up in it? Because then I can bridge you back over onto your feet and stand you up just so you can have the feel of my tombstone without actually taking it. And then you can make a more educated decision. Most women that allowed me to pick them up into it so they could feel it were like, oh, wow, that's so easy. Yeah, I'll take this. There was very few people that were like, yeah, no, I don't want to be picked up in it and I don't want to take it. I don't want to do it. I'm not comfortable. And I'm like, okay. And it's kind of funny because one of the girls that didn't want to do it now does her own variation of a tombstone as a finisher. And I'm like, oh, so you wouldn't take it, but you have no problem giving it. <laughs> a, little, a little interesting there. But no, um, I think the way I do my tombstone is very easy for me because I'm using... Uh, the parts of my body that have the most strength, I am mostly legs. So um, that was very, very easy for me, especially when people listen and don't do anything and I deadlift them myself. Was that me on uh, Wow? 
No, it was not, but you were not the first person to ask me that, so thank you. Um, if it's who I'm thinking of, she is absolutely amazing. Love her to death, would love to work with her, and she would be somebody that I would sign to a company, if it's the girl that I'm thinking of. Uh, if I could, what types of films for WWE Studios would I make? I would make horror movies because they appeal to a wide range of audience. Even if they're terrible, they still make a ton of money. Um, and you don't always need a huge budget for that. So I think that would be really cool. I would also do reality-based television more with WWE and tell some really cool stories that can overlap with their programming as well as uh, reality TV fans because believe it or not there's actually more reality TV fans than there are pro wrestling fans um, so that's a really good way to create new fans and a crossover and make more money more jobs and all around just more for everybody which is a great thing um, and I also think maybe comedy type of movies like you know like like a lot of Adam Sandler movies I think that would be really cool for WWE Studios what was the last match I had? It was against Santana Garrett at Lucha Patron. Uh, what are my thoughts on International Women's Day? I mean, it's cool and all, but like, do I need it to be a woman and feel important? No. Like, I already get to do all the things that the original feminist fought for. I got to go to college. I get to vote. I get to pursue my childhood dreams. I get to make a meal for my husband and we sit down at the table and enjoy it together. Like, I get the best of both worlds. I've got, yeah. You know, like, I don't, if International Women's Day was gone tomorrow, it would not change my life in any way. Like, it, did I appreciate all the people that, that stopped to wish me a happy International Women's Day? Absolutely, I appreciate it. Please, I, that's amazing. Thank you so much for thinking of me. But as a woman, I don't necessarily feel like I need International Women's Day to feel empowered or appreciated. Like, I make sure I appreciate myself all the time with doing little things that bring me joy. Um, and also doing small acts that uh, acts of kindness for people that I don't know, which also brings me joy. And also doing doing things for my loved ones that brings me joy because I'm showing them that they matter to me and that I love them, and they're actually around to see it and appreciate it and experience it with me. Um, and I don't think you know International Women's Day aids that for me or takes that away from me. You know, I mean, there's already Valentine's Day, there's already Mother's Day, there's already your birthday and all these other different things like it's great but I, I don't necessarily need it like I don't live by International Women's Day you know um am I a Democrat no no I am not I am not a Democrat I'm not a Republican um I am an independent libertarian and I make no apologies for that I reject I've said this before but I'll say it again I reject any sort of ideology that tries to force my way of thinking I think for myself I dig deep to find the answers that I need to find um, and then I make the most educated decision that I possibly can with the information that I have available to me that is backed up by analytics and science and facts and whatever else I can find, you know. Um, like what my mother used to say to me a long time ago, she was like, facts don't care about people's feelings. And, and that's how I feel, you know. If you're offended by facts, ask yourself why you're offended by facts, because facts aren't offended by you, <laughs> you know what I mean? Analytics and facts, they don't have feelings. Uh, who are some of the most overrated stars on the Indies? Ooh, you are not ready for that answer. You are not ready. <laughs> Ooh, oh, you are not ready for that answer. Let me tell you, but I appreciate you asking, but you wouldn't believe me even if I... <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, what was my first ever meet and greet like? Okay, I felt so insecure and uncomfortable in my own skin, right? Because the first, like... I had done other meet and greets, but there were always, you know, 
local ones on the East Coast where I was known because it was mostly the same people that were working in those areas as me. So when I did my first bigger meet and greet convention, it was like legitimately right after I did Gut Check, right? And I just, to this day, I laugh, but I cringe at the same time. So uh, I had this girlfriend of mine. She was a good friend of mine. Um, she and her future husband uh, drove me down to uh, that event. It was in New York, I believe, New York or New Jersey. And I was wearing like a brown leather jacket with like a, for whatever reason, a peach sweater with like a matching like style hat that I forget the style of with like a little side bun and just, n I, I looked like, the, like your average Jane on the street, you know? And I just remember thinking, holy crap, like nobody like knows who I am yet. Like, why am I even here? And sitting diagonally across from me is Ivalice, right? And like, she's like looking at me and because of her personality, I think that she's staring daggers at me. And I'm like, what did I ever do to you, right? Well, fast forward years later, I realized, oh, that's just her personality. And we get along like very well. <laughs> it's just really funny. Cause I have a very bubbly, weird personality. I'm very socially awkward, but I make fun of myself to make other people laugh. Like that's my, my social defense mechanism. <laughs> and you know, so I'm sitting here Ivalice has red hair. I have bright red hair. So based on my wrestling knowledge at that point, I automatically think she hates me, even though she, she really did it. She was just wondering who I am. Um, and like nobody knows who I am yet. So like there's a bunch of people just like passing me by. I have these amazingly good looking women like to my left. It's uh, Madison Rain, Velvet Sky, Angelina Love. And I'm like, these women look like actual beautiful women. Like like women you would expect men to have posters of them on their wall you know like and then there's like little awkward like me like I, I just felt so awkward and insecure and uncomfortable in my own skin and so I'm trying my best to ignore these insecurities I felt like a little girl uh, you know on a roster full of women that's exactly how I described you know my first interactions at impact and then so I go to talk to Crimson because I know Crimson from OVW because he's at OVW at the same time I am and he's laughing at me thinking that I'm just being outrageously silly because he's like why like you're here for a reason just figure out what sets them apart from you and implement that in your own way so it's authentic to you like he was like very reasonable about it but I'm just like oh, I don't know you know and so I vowed because I felt so bad for the booker because obviously he didn't necessarily make his money back <clears throat> because nobody really knew who I was yet so right then and there while I was sitting down at my table feeling like a failure I promised I was like never again will somebody book me and lose their behind on booking me and I kept true to that promise ever since then I've always made people who book me I've always made them money and I always make a deal with them to you know sign extra 8 by 10s that they can sell at different events after I'm gone. Um, and so I always felt really good about that, but that was the experience that really lit a fire under me. And I was like, I am never again, I'm always going to make sure whoever books me makes a profit. And I really implemented that into my booking rate and how I interact with my fans and how I, um, how I conduct myself professionally and stuff. And I, it, that was the experience that really did that for me. Um, I still had many years left of being awkward um, but you know, as much as I say I want to change that, I don't think I would 
only because it made me who I am today. And even though I'm still awkward and strange and unusual, I'm Taylor Hendricks. And I love that. And I wouldn't sacrifice that journey for anything because I really fought really hard um, to be the person I am today. And so, yeah, I, um, I feel like if I would get rid of all those awkward stages where I didn't know about makeup and fashion and what looked good on me and stuff, I wouldn't have had the experiences that ultimately turned me into the Taylor Hendricks that I became. So I have to take the good and the bad with that. And that was my first ever. And I, I, I years later, I was on, I think, a shine show with Ava Lee's and I told her about that and she was like, I had no idea you were thinking that way. And I was just like, well, yeah, because <laughs> I just started making fun of myself and, you know, just being me. But we had like such a funny laugh about that. And it was, you know, to this day, I still love Ava Lee's. I've never had a bad experience with her ever. Um, what are some of the worst injuries I have ever had? Okay, uh, literally getting paralyzed from the waist down. Um, somebody kicked me right here in the base where uh, my neck where your, your skull meets your, your, your spine and uh, in your neck and that's called your C-spine, your upper cervical. And they kicked me there twice in succession. The first time I went numb from the waist down, everything went black. I saw like broken glass shards of like rainbow colors. Um, I felt my brain literally bash against like the front of my skull feeling and then go like this and like settle back. It was like, the most alarming thing and you can't do anything because you couldn't move from the waist down like I couldn't feel my feet couldn't couldn't move and because I couldn't move I was just sitting there in the middle of the ring from her snap mirror kick and then she gives me another kick in the, in the exact same spot and all those same things happen all over again I was numb from the waist down couldn't move paralyzed uh, my brain moved it was awful and then I had someone in a front chancery face lock and I great blind my uh, great find my legs around their waist so that they could pick me up and I was really like cinching it in holding it in and they turned that into a northern light suplex while well, there wasn't enough momentum and they dumped me onto the top of my head and I don't remember anything all I know is they picked me up and did the exact same move over again the northern lights because that's what we had called but I don't remember anything after that um, we finished everything we called for that match and it was a tournament so there was actually like a, a timer on the stage uh, where Nigel McGuinness was doing um, commentary with somebody else. I forgot who else. <laughs> and we actually hit the time cue that we were supposed to. And I did the finish. And apparently I walked to the back after the match, everything. I don't remember anything. Um, there's about eight minutes of time that I can't recall. My next memory is me sitting in a chair in the kitchen's backstage. Um, and Daphne uh, is kneeling in front of me, speaking to me. And I'm like, what happened? What happened? Uh, oh my gosh, did I mess up? Like, what happened? I feel so bad or something. That's like my first memory after the fact. Um, I really do think she saved my life because I, I, I genuinely think if I would have gone to sleep, I that might have been le legitimately lights out for Taylor Hendricks. Um, and that is why I will always be fearfully, fiercely indebted and loyal to Daphne for the rest of my days because of that. I, I genuinely think that she literally saved my life. Um, <laughs> I know that might sound dramatic, but that's how bad it was. Like I, I was concussed very badly. And the next morning I flew from California to the East coast for a WWE loop, which was a pay-per-view. And then I believe it was the pay-per-view where Roman Reigns won the Royal Rumble. And it was that same loop where they had to cancel raw because a huge, massive Nor'easter snowstorm like snowed it out and stuff. Um, I was there, I think Renee Michelle was there and some other people. Uh, that was a really, really rough loop 
Um, and I was like texting gibberish to my trainer in Canada who I was training with at the time and to my family Like it was so bad that my mother told me to turn around and come home So then I, I drove through like one and a half states just to get to her because I was halfway to where raw was supposed to be um Yeah, so I flew from California to Philly no sleep because I was concussed picked up a rental car went to um the pay-per-view on the Sunday then didn't sleep again because I was so worried because my concussion was so bad and I was on a plane which I did all the things that you're not supposed to do um so then we did that and then the next morning I had to return the rental car get back to the Philly airport then flew into Boston uh picked up a rental car in Boston and I was halfway to Connecticut from Boston when I got the call that Raw was canceled then I turned around and drove uh, back down to Massachusetts to family, um, spent a couple days there, and then we were doing a live SmackDown. And then I had to drive back to Connecticut, spent the night in Connecticut, then had to drive all the way back to Boston, drop off the rental car, and then fly back to Michigan. And then from Michigan, I had to go to Canada. Yeah, and I was concussed just out of my mind. It was awful. Um, another injury would be, I was literally deaf, dumb, and stupid. Um, I was in a match with this person, and this person, I feel like, took my life and my, my health for granted in the match. I think, I don't think it was malicious. I think it was just ignorance. Like, they didn't understand their own power and their own ability because they were so much taller than me and more buff than me. It was another female. And, um, she short arm clotheslined me in the face so it's when you pull them in for the clothesline like this and she fought instead of letting me take my own bump she drilled my head down into the mat and concussed me <laughs> um and i couldn't see out of one of my eyes and we had a slap spot at some point in that match and she cupped me super hard in the ear which you're never supposed to do she literally slapped me in the ear and i told one of my all-time favorite refs his name is uh, chris he works for WWE now, which I'm super happy about because that was like his, literally his dream. Um, one of my all-time favorite rests is so awesome. I told him, I was like, Chris, don't let her bump me. Don't let her bump me. I'm hurt. I'm, I'm legit hurt. I'm hurt real bad. And you can see him in on camera go to her. Don't bump her. Don't bump her. She's hurt. She's hurt. And she doesn't listen. And she just continues doing the stuff that she wanted to do and stuff. And uh, after the match was over, Al Snow actually looked me over and was like, yeah, I can tell in your eyes you're, you are concussed. And I couldn't see out of one of my eyes and the ear that she hit me and I was deaf. I couldn't hear out of it. So I was literally blind in one eye, concussed and deaf in one ear. The eyesight pretty much came back the next day, but the hearing took months. Um, and I actually still have hearing loss on that side to this day. So that's pretty gnarly. Um, Leva Bates and I used to have a laugh uh, whenever we'd work with each other, uh, like at Queens of Combat or whatever, because we both have a deafness. And um, so we'd always be like, what? 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 Um, I love her. She's she's so sweet. I, I love Leva Bates. Um, I got my ankle fractured in the ring once when I was doing my gut check move where um, I get somebody down the corner, I have their legs open, and I do a baseball slide. Um, my ankle went and that's exactly how it sounded. So it was it was really bad. Um, I've had both of my shoulders dislocated and it makes like a pop sound. It popped out to the back, back in, out to the front, back in. It was like, um, I had someone hit me so hard in the nose that actually deviated the septum. I thought my nose was broken, but it wasn't. Um, I got Frankenstein or, uh, you know, um, 
onto my skull, very similar to the Northern Lights, um, but that was at the beginning of my career, the Frankensteiner. And then I remember my partner, it was a mixed tag match, my partner was like, get up, Taylor, what are you doing? You've got more stuff to do, get up. And I'm like literally like out on my feet, like going through the motions, but I'm literally like not there. And then I, at training one time, I had like a six foot two, 240 something pound dude land on my head at training. And that was like my first actual concussion in wrestling. He was supposed to um, do a leapfrog over me and instead his whole body came down on my head and crushed my head down into the mat. Um, yeah, so I've had a lot of those. Uh, went deaf, um, blind, concussed, paralyzed, broken bones, uh, torn ligaments. Oh, chair shot to the back of the head that was not supposed to be to the back of my head. That was, that was rough. My mom was in the audience for that. It's like, oh, I finally get her to come to one of my recent shows and then that's, that's what happens. So yeah, I, there's quite a, quite a few stories there. All right, this episode is already super long, but I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I wanted to give you guys just shake things up a little bit and show you guys just how much I appreciate you by going through multiple months of different questions and to just do a whole episode dedicated to my fans with all kinds of different questions from you on my YouTube channel, uh, live on this podcast. I hope to see you guys back here every single week, not just on my YouTube channel, but also on Russo's brand. I promise you, you will not find a better deal and it's absolutely the place to be. I will see you guys back here next week and do not forget to add more questions on my YouTube channel to the future. Talk soon.